Hello and welcome to episode 234 of the UK True Crime Podcast. I'm Adam. Thank you so much for joining me today for this episode from Glasgow. It's an unusual story and one characterised by deceit, I suppose ignorance about who you're dealing with, and then extreme violence. Before we begin, a huge thank you to all my supporters at Patreon, especially the new members of this exclusive group. That's Rebecca Hattersley, Jess Reed, Laura Blundred, Lindsay Martin, Emma Callier, Andrea Hay, Angela Dunavant, James Taylor and Sally Handley. Thank you all so much for joining us, as well as bonus episodes and other exclusive content. All Patreon supporters can now enter the competition to win a fantastic central London hotel room in the CrimeCon Hotel for the Saturday night of CrimeCon in London in September. So why not join us now at patreon.com slash UK True Crime. I'm delighted that today's podcast is sponsored by Trip. The female founder, Olivia, was working as a lawyer in London, but she was burnt out and she was overwhelmed with the daily grind when she found CBD to offer amazing relief, but she struggled with formats and flavours. She left law to create this premium CBD range. I've been enjoying them this last week and they're great. It's all new to me and I was only vaguely aware that CBD is extracted from the hemp plant. It's non-psychoactive and will not give you a high. And even better for me, as a vegan, is that all TRIP CBD products are vegan, they're UK made and gluten-free in recyclable packaging. TRIP has a range of delicious CBD drinks. I really enjoyed them and you will too. They're infused with premium CBD, packed with natural botanicals in low-cal delicious drinks. Forbes, they love them and they said they were powered by natural botanicals, and Vogue said they are, I quote, calming, chic, and very tasty. Trip also provides CBD oils. Grazia awarded Trip the UK's best CBD oil, and Dazed said that the oils taste like a dream. To take a trip to happy days, please head to drink-trip.com. As a listener to this show, you will get 15% off your first order with free shipping with the code CRIME, that's C-R-I-M-E in capitals. That's drink-trip.com and use the code CRIME to get 15% off. Let's get straight on with setting some context for today's story and our very popular guest the month and year game. On the floor from Jennifer Lopez and Pitbull topped the UK chart. In the US, it was E.T. from Katy Perry, featuring Kenya West. And in Australia, the top album this month was The Life of Riley by Draft. In the news this month, a gunman murdered five people, injured 11, and then killed themselves in a mall in the Netherlands. Fidel Castro resigned from the Communist Party of Cuba's Central Committee after 45 years of holding the title. In the UK, it was a very sad day for serious journalism, with both the Daily Sport and the Sunday Sport newspapers seizing publication. Prince William, the Duke of Cambridge and Catherine Middleton married in Westminster Abbey, and incredibly in a civilised society, it was only now that the UK's last circus elephants retired. Did you get the month and year? 
it was April 2011. For today's story, we return to Glasgow in Scotland. In 2011, Glasgow criminal Colin Coates was aged 42, and he was a genuinely scary man. I think this was demonstrated fairly well in September 2009, when he was taking an EasyJet flight from Glasgow to Alicante. It had kicked off early on when Coates got into an altercation with another passenger, which resulted in the other person being punched in the face. To try to defuse the situation, he was moved to the back of the plane, but when he found out that the police had been called to meet the plane when it arrived in Spain, he really lost it. Passengers who had previously been advised to stay seated until Coates could be dealt with were desperate to leave and very wary about this volatile man in the plane. You can imagine the situation, right? They were just desperate to get away. But Coates told steward George Barron that he would kill him if the police boarded the plane. And when this request was ignored and he saw police officers coming into the plane, Coates reacted. He kicked the steward. He began clawing at his face and neck with his hands and striking him on the back. It was a frightening situation. Clearly out of control by this stage, Coates turned around to a female passenger nearby. He swore at her. Then he told her how he would burn her house down. Charmingly, he asked if she had children, then said that if she had, he would burn them too. He then turned to another passenger to say that he would throw acid in their face. Eventually, the Spanish police officers got to him and held him down horizontally at the back of the cabin just to try and calm him down so the rest of the passengers could make a calm exit and get on with their holiday, get on with their lives. Later, in court, Coates said that he could recall nothing of the flight and he denied conducting himself in a disorderly manner, uttering threats of violence and committing a breach of the peace by placing others in a state of fear and alarm and a charge of assault. A friend of his told the court that Coates' drink must have been spiked to cause this reaction. The jury were of course having none of it, and he was found guilty, fined £2,000, and told that he'd just narrowly escaped prison. We're going to come back to Coates later on in this episode. But Coates had a reputation for extreme violence, and he was a man not to be crossed. But as we have heard so often on this podcast, there is always someone who thinks they can get away with double-crossing such a dangerous person. In today's podcast, that person was 27-year-old Linda Spence. Linda had enjoyed a relatively normal childhood in Glasgow as the only child of Patricia and Jim. Although Jim had been sent to prison for murder himself in 1969, it seemed that the family were a close and a loving one. And all through her life, Linda phoned her mum every day. They spoke a lot. After leaving school at 16, Linda started working in bank call centres. But the sort of money she could earn in these so-called normal jobs just wasn't enough for her. Linda wanted more. She wanted so much more. She wanted the glamorous lifestyle. So she decided to set up her own business, using money from the sale of her grandma's bungalow as the capital with which to start. I think it's fair to say that Linda wasn't short of confidence and she told all of her friends and family that she had a real knack for business, especially property deals. 
and that the deals that she was going to make would make her millions and millions of pounds. But though she was very good on confidence, Linda wasn't quite so good at telling the truth or on delivering the promises she made. She was a compulsive liar, even her best friends would say so, but Linda was always fun to be around. She set herself up as a financial advisor, based quite on what training is unclear, and she started out making relatively small sums of money by telling people who struggled to get mortgages elsewhere that she could help them secure one. But this was actually all done by making up fake bank statements and the other financial documents necessary. But it worked for her, and Linda didn't appear to be worried about the consequences of her actions. From here, she expanded into larger schemes as her greed continued to grow. One example was when Linda became involved with the Chinese community of Mary Hill in Glasgow, representing a housing development in the area. Linda took money from 30 residents, totaling almost £200,000. But rather than pay the reservation fees for their properties, Linda simply kept the money all to herself to continue to fund her lifestyle. One of her employees at the time told how Linda was such great fun to be around and always talked a great game full of confidence and ambition and plans for the future. He spoke of her business style as absolute chaos. He, for example, was promised £1,500 a month salary, a car, a telephone and bonuses. But he claimed he was only paid once, never got a car and the phone rarely worked. There were many similar tales. Eventually, Linda did get caught out and in December 2008, she was declared bankrupt at Glasgow Sheriff Court owing almost £40,000 to creditors. This didn't turn out to be the shot across the bowels that it may have been for others, and after being discharged the following year, Linda carried on with a whole range of schemes designed to separate people from their money. In fact, after her bankruptcy, both the size of the deals in which she became involved and also the extravagance of her lifestyle seemed to go up a couple of notches. Linda's friends and family continued to enjoy her company and she was incredibly generous. She developed a real liking for casinos, fast cars, she had a couple of nice mercs and expensive champagne and she wanted to share both her wealth and the fun times that she was having with those closest to her. At one point she owned two flats in the very upmarket Buckingham Terrace area of Glasgow. In 2009, freed from the chains of bankruptcy, Linda set up a new company which specialised in mortgages and lettings called Fraser Properties in Glasgow. But as the deals fell through and she plunged deeper and deeper into the red, it wasn't going to be long before one of her sources of credit stopped delivering. Some of her friends and certainly her employees knew that Linda was playing a dangerous game. One of those was Linda's best friend at school, Amanda Spence. She left Linda's company in 2010 after customer complaints, but she was worried by some of what Linda was up to. Telling one of her friends in an email, she's got some deal involving Arabs and Albanians going on with peeps in New York. It's all a bit dodgy sounding. And Amanda also knew more than most about Linda's unconventional private life 
This included when the pair were 19. Linda had asked her to marry an Albanian man known as so-called Jeffaj, as this would allow him to stay in the UK, and Linda didn't want her parents to know about him. Amanda agreed, and four years later they divorced, whereupon Linda married him. But it was only by accident that her mum found a business card in her daughter's car one evening, with the name Linda Jeffage on it. Her parents knew nothing about this, even though they were close. And when her mum asked Linda about it, she told her she'd a husband, an Albanian businessman called Sokal Jeffage, adding in a very direct fashion, I married him, get over it. But although married, Linda enjoyed female lovers too, and one of those she introduced to her parents as Amelia. This person was actually a 31-year-old Ukrainian, whose real name was Aliona Kodranu. Seemingly unknown to Linda, Amelia had also been enjoying a long-term affair with her husband Jeffage, with whom she was said to have been besotted. This love triangle was interesting in itself, but Linda had also been drawing the interest of law enforcement authorities. And by 2011, Linda had been recruited as a mole by the Scottish Crime and Drug Enforcement Agency and the Serious Organised Crime Agency, specifically to spy on her husband's illicit activities. According to police intelligence at the time, 39-year-old Zefaj was a major criminal and involved in drugs, controlling sex workers and people trafficking. He would later deny this, but police weren't convinced by the former asylum seeker who had arrived in Glasgow with next to nothing, and within just a couple of years had managed to build a half million pounds property empire. He always carried lots of cash around with him. In November 2010, Zefaj was stopped by cops on the M74 with around £50,000 in his car. Linda had travelled to Albania in 2009 to marry him after she split up with her partner at the time, Kate Riley. But enough of her personal life, let's go back to her business. As Linda moved into bigger and bigger deals, she started to get involved with more shady people and those from a criminal background. Men like the plane passenger we discussed at the start of this episode, Colin Coates, and his 42-year-old cocaine-dealing accomplice, Philip Wade. When Linda was introduced to Colin, he was impressed, as she told him all about the opportunity to invest in a multi-million pound land deal near Stansted Airport in Essex. The deal was through a fictitious man invented by Linda, who she called Uncle Ben, after the rice. In the business plan, the aim was to buy this land and sell off part of it to other developers. Colin was convinced he bought in. He gave Linda £85,000, all that he had. And this money, unbeknown to his sister, was his parents' funeral fund. But he gave it all to Linda on the promise that he could make a whopping £3.2 million from the investment with all the money paid in Danish bearer bonds, which would avoid the need to pay any VAT. Linda created an email account for Uncle Ben, allegedly the main investor, using the internet connection serving the Rio Caf in Glasgow, which was known to her friends as Linda's Partick office. The fictitious Uncle Ben 
replied directly to the emails from Colin Coates. Colin didn't realise it was all a scam, and the bonds were being made for him by a local Glaswegian printer called Amish Syed. Linda visited Amish in late summer 2010 and initially asked him to print their fake bonds as a joke. They started off as a very small sum, but as he later said, she asked for some more zeros to be added and she was laughing. Colin Coates wasn't a silly man, and after a while he started to suspect that there was something very wrong with the deal. For over a year, Linda strung him along. But it wasn't just Colin Coates. She'd managed to scam at least one other property developer out of a six-figure sum on the same fictional deal. She often used aliases, including Sefaj, De Bono, Palmer and Riley. And in 2010-2011, Linda used at least 20 different mobile phones. But she must have known that the situation was getting desperate and closing in around her. But even at this stage, Linda was busy working on new scams rather than dealing with the growing pressure from her furious investors who wanted their money back. In April 2011, she emailed the Queen's Bank, Coots, to ask about opening an account there. Whereas a month earlier, she was doing all she could to get hold of any cash at all, applying for daily crisis loans and even the job seeker's allowance. Another investor who was worrying Linda at this time was John Glenn. The 46-year-old property developer met Linda in late 2009 and he lost almost £20,000 in deposits and valuations on a property deal in the east end of Glasgow. He'd been promised profits of up to £200,000 and although terribly frustrated by the loss, he continued to work with Linda in an attempt to recoup his losses. Glenn owed money to a gangster, a local gangster, and he needed his money back and had been sending Linda threatening messages for a number of months. In October 2010, for example, he texted Linda, if you don't, wisen up when someone is dragging you out of bed and cutting off your fingers. And then on the 14th of April 2011, at 9.18am, he said, listen, stupid, be warned school fees paid today. 10 yesterday, 10 zero down. He will chop you up, Linda, at 2pm today if that 20,000 isn't their cash. I will help him sort you, as he says it's my responsibility, as I brought him in. If you don't show, no problem. I will sort things myself. Linda had always been close to her family, and family birthdays were always a big deal. April the 13th, 2011 was her mum Patricia's 55th and she and her husband Jim were looking forward to seeing Linda that evening. But on this occasion, it wasn't the unforgettable occasion they'd hoped. At about 6pm, Linda arrived at her parents' waterfront flat, which was rented for them by Linda, with flowers and accompanied by a very glamorous female friend. Patricia later recalled, I was kissing and cuddling her and said, Where are we going? But Linda said she was busy. She never said anything was wrong, but she was dead tense. And just after 15 minutes or so, Linda and her friend sat up and said that they were leaving. Patricia added, 
She said she'd be back in half an hour, but she never came back. I just thought, never mind. The next day, as usual, Patricia and Linda chatted on the phone, with Linda turning down lunch and saying that she was travelling to London for a series of meetings. But this wasn't true at all. As her mum texted her, Colin Coates and his accomplice Wade had abducted Linda after she'd failed to repay the debt. They forced her into a car on Broomhill Path, Glasgow, and drove her approximately 30 miles west to the West Kilbride coast in North Ayrshire, where a friend of theirs had a flat in Meadowfoot Road. Even though Linda must have known she was in trouble, even she couldn't have anticipated the horror of what lay in store. Later that day, her mum reported her missing, and the police immediately took it very seriously. With Linda's business dealings and potential links to European criminals, they feared for her life. Linda's mum held a press conference. She was distraught, sobbing uncontrollably, as she desperately asked anyone who knew what had happened to her daughter to contact the police. As she spoke, Linda was indeed alive, and a number of people knew exactly where she was and what she was going through. For 13 days in a small flat in a quiet seaside resort, Linda was suffering the sort of torture beyond any film. Wade and Coates visited her every day to inflict more pain. Her kneecaps were smashed, her hands branded with an iron and her thumb was chopped off. She was hit with a golf club and even they severed her pinky finger. She wasn't allowed to visit a toilet and was forced to sit taped up on the same chair in her own waist. Coates and Wade did all they possibly could to extract details of her financial situation so they could reclaim their money. Linda Spence had scammed the wrong people this time, and they were determined to make her pay for her actions. As we hear so often on this podcast, as such terrible events were happening, normal life continued all around. Outside in West Kilbride, as spring was arriving, life carried on at the same relatively quiet pace as usual. The local newspaper, the Largs and Millport Weekly News, were reported on all the small stuff that was happening, such as a row about the removal of stained windows from a local church. But for Linda, still taped to her computer chair, being tortured daily in a dingy attic, life was anything but normal. Join me next week, where we will conclude this story from Glasgow. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the UK True Crime Podcast. To discuss this story or any aspect of UK True Crime, please do head to the Facebook group to join almost 70,000 of us. And to support the show and win that hotel room in central London, for the Saturday of CrimeCon, you can buy me a beer or even two. Please support me at patreon.com slash UK True Crime. So that's all for me for this week. Please do join me again next week for the conclusion of this story from Scotland. Until then, please do take it easy, and of course, despite all the others, do stay classy. Cheerio!